As we got into Titus last week, the first sermon of our uh, eight-week series on Titus was titled, What is the Point? And for any of you who have been in church for a certain length of time, if, if you are aware of your emotional state, there are times, there are Sundays where you wake up and you say, what is the point of going to church? What's the point of being a part of this? And as we read in Titus, as Paul writes to his, who he calls his true son in the faith, he says, Titus, spread the knowledge of truth which will lead to godliness. And so the point of coming is not that we can come and just see your buddy, which you, you could if you were going out for a long-distance run, which most of you would be doing if you weren't here this morning, I know. Right, that, that isn't, the point is just gathering with people that you chum with. But the mystery of the gospel is this, that, that God became like us so that we could become like him. That, that as God created us in His image to be in intimate relationship with Him, to enjoy Him, to the, for the rest of eternity, just, uh, just to be able to pick His brain about things and, and like Him. right? That's, that's what He created us for. But in this act of separation that we have done and continue to do whenever we make a decision that disobeys Him, God came and became like us so that in His grace, in His goodness, in His love, that we could become more like Him. And so, as we uh, speak truth every Sunday, it's that you would receive that truth and become more like Him. You could become more godly. The, the line that my dad shared last week was that godliness is someone whose hope in the living God affects everything that they do. And so, as we see Him more and more clearly every week, we'll be affected more and more every week. <laughs> Because we're in this process of becoming like him. Um, The way it affects you might be different. And I I hope it affects you. I hope you can see the ways it does. I hope some of you, you can see that you go to work and you are more excited to love the person that you work with, even if they are hard to work with. For some of you, it might mean doing extraordinary things as a family, like taking foster kids into your home. because, Because you see the way that God loves Kids that aren't yet his. And so we are affected by these things. The way that you can see us affected as a whole church is that, that uh, we, as a refuge church, are, are intricately tied in with what goes on here at the Coffee Oasis, which uh, every week we are involved with uh, Christ through us, helping heal the community, specifically a community of 13 to 25-year-old young men and women who uh, need love. And us hopefully being like, come, be a part of this community, us learning how to be a community they can be a part of. Um, We are excited about that, and that's something that we do from week-to-week basis. And if you're a part of the Refuge Church, hopefully at some point you'll be pricked and want to be a part of that too, whether that's mentoring or some Friday night being up here with Jake or Paul in Port Orchard or wherever that is, there's an opportunity for you to be affected by the gospel, knowing because God loved me so much, he came, and that you, because he loves you so much, will also go. 
But what we move into this week after, what's the point? <laughs> because he loved us, we love others. Uh, how do we do this? Is, is where we're going from here. How do we, how do we get to that place? And, and the way we do that and the way Paul shows Titus to do this is that what you need is you need leadership. You need leadership who will both love the truth, be changed by the truth, and then speak that truth clearly to others. This is what Paul writes. If you are in Titus, if you have taken the cue from the screen and have turned there already, in Titus uh, 1, chapter, or 1, verse 5, he says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, every, honestly, every time I read this, which was a lot this week, I chuckled because Paul says, the reason why I left you. And so you get, have you ever been the first week at a job, and you get explained what to do, and then you get left? And you thought, oh my God, I wasn't listening to anything they were just saying. <laughs> can we just show hands? Okay, I, I, I can do two on that one. Right? Because... Because <laughs> you've, you've made yourself look like a rock star in your resume, and they think you know what you're doing. And then you get into the job, and, and you realize, I don't, I don't know heads from tails here. And so Paul says, the reason that I left you in Crete was you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. First thing is, straighten out what was left unfinished. The word orthos is used here, and it's like uh, orthodontic. Orthodontist, right? Like if you get your teeth straightened out. Orthopedics, like if you get a bone straightened out. This is the interesting thing. Is they, literally, he's saying, if you do not put elders over the church, the church will be crooked and broken. Right? Like, like the orthopedic surgeon who takes a bone and corrects it. Unless you have elders over your church, your church will remain out of line. He also says, unless you put elders over your church, your church will remain unfinished. It's like if you go to a buddy's house and he's like, dude, I got you a car. And you go and it's like this you know, crappy old like, like unfinished piece of metal work. Right? Like that, that is the church unless... You put elders over it to lead and guide it. And this might sound extreme. This might be extreme. And you're like, you're just justifying your position, Daniel. <laughs> but in Crete, Crete was known actually by Homer, like the Iliad, the Odyssey, as the island with a hundred cities. And so here you have this. The first time we hear about Crete is in Acts 2, where all these people are gathered in Jerusalem to, to worship the Passover. And it says that Cretans were there. And so, so what we can assume is either from that time or from Paul later going that the gospel has spread rapidly across the island to these hundred cities. And, and they are needing to be straightened. They are unfinished until leadership is placed over them. And, and a way that might be helpful for some of you to understand this is in terms of coaching. So imagine that you had teams in each of these cities Soccer teams, FIFA World Cup, it was a good time. So, and they were like, okay, 
You're going to organize soccer teams, and then you're going to come play together. But if there was no coaches, it'd be like, well, when do we show up? Like, what do we... The way you can see this is, this last week, if any of you are Mariners fans, you'll know that Lou Pinella was inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame this last week. And, and the reason why we celebrate Lou Pinella with the Mariners is not because he hit a lot of home runs, because he didn't do that. Right? He didn't go out and field the ball, but what Lou Pinella did really well, really, really well as a manager of the Mariners is that he organized his team. While each one of them was performing their tasks and their duty, he kept the goal in mind, and he organized everyone around that goal. He kept it centered. And so without leadership, what happens is, yeah, people might, might know their individual task or where they fit or be trying to like self-correct, but what an elder does, what a coach of a team does, is they see the whole picture, and they see what the goal is, and they say, this is how we're going for it. We're going for Jesus together. And so while people might pull off to the side and start doing weird things like having shrines in their homes, <laughs> whatever people do in their spare time, and, and the pastor's goal is to say, no, no, Jesus is the center, right? Jesus is the one meter between God and man because Jesus came to earth. That is the reason why we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And so they keep, they keep at the center what is most important. So how do we choose these elders? And this is what the rest of our time will be spent looking at. Because there is an example uh, set in Titus, an example that Paul has passed on to him. So uh, if you have your Bibles again, uh, look with me to verse 6. To nine. It says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we see here three things that, that an elder should be. The first is that he should be a family man. We'll explain that. Second, he should be a spirit-filled man. And the third, he should be a truth-formed man. So family man is the first thing, and you see that right here as it kicks off in, in verse 6. It says, Elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, and a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. The first word I, I, I need to explain to you is the word blameless here, because that could sound extraordinary. That could sound like perfect. And, and the word blameless here doesn't mean perfect. Oftentimes the word above reproach, or the words above reproach, is used there, and that simply means that one cannot blame them or accuse them. So they're not somebody who already is getting blamed by people for certain actions, and then it actually lays out the actions for which they could be blamed for. And the first is looking at their family life. What does that look like? It says, number one, he must be a, it says husband of one wife here, but literally what it says is a one-womaned man. One-womaned man. And... <laughs> which is great. Um, 
And, and the helpful thing about that is one woman, man, is because for someone like me, I'm not married. And so I'm not the husband of one wife. But for those who are unmarried, they're people who aren't just dating everyone in the congregation. That would be awkward. Glad you think so, too. <laughs> they are people who have integrity in their life and in their relationships, and, and namely their relationships at home. If, if you want an honest opinion of if someone's blameworthy or blameless, ask the woman of their life. Right? So for me, the woman in my life is my mother. You can ask her about me. <laughs> uh, you know, for Pat... His wife is Erica. For my father, Dave, his wife is my mother. He's a one-woman man. And, and the goal of that is that these, these are men who mirror God's relationship with his people, the church, that, that Jesus himself has covenanted with his bride. And that's the way it's explained throughout the New Testament, is that, that the church is the bride of Christ. And so as as we are supposed to be examples, chosen to be people who keep the main thing the main thing, we are meant to show that God is keeping what is at the center at the center. The second thing is it says having believing children. And, and I think a, a better translation of this is trustworthy children. And the reason for this is, is first of all, that, that you, you don't get to decide whether your children are believers or not. So, you get the privilege and honor to, to pray for your children. You get to sacrifice yourself for your children. You get to instruct them in the way they should go. But it's only God who saves. And so, so to say he has to have believing children would be asking of him something that he cannot do. Does that make sense? And so the word here is trustworthy. We, he must have trustworthy children, so while the children are in his care, that they are children that, that uh, are worthy of respect. And in 1 Timothy, which also out, outlines the, the uh, characteristics of an elder, it says this. It says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And so... That is important for us, that, that the home, and what this exposes for us, even on a bigger scale, is that the home is not this private place where I get to do whatever I want, right? But the home is also a place where God is ruler, and later, as you find other characteristics, that an elder needs to be hospitable, which means his home is open, that you can come in and see the way he, he loves his family, the way he runs his home. And so uh, an elder must be a family man. And, and I think that is so instrumental because it is also what we often forget is the building block of our culture. The building blocks of our culture is not politics. It's not who you vote for, but it's namely how you treat those who are closest to you, which is, first of all, your family. Right? If you raise your kids well, I care more about that than who you voted for. <laughs> because, because they're going to be an enduring testimony of the kind of person that you are. And so, an elder must be a family man. Second is this, he must be a spirit-filled man. 
<clears throat> and a spirit-filled man, you won't see that wording here in Titus. Um, but the reason why I say that is because these literally, in a lot of ways, mirror uh, in Galatians 5.22, where it says the fruits of the Spirit are. And so these are obviously things not produced by the man himself, but God working in him. Uh, starting in verse 7, it says, An overseer is entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good and who is self-controlled and upright, holy, and disciplined. So what this is saying is simply this. There are things that disqualify and there are things that qualify a person that will lead the church. Things that would disqualify him are things such as being self-willed, not gracious, given to drunkenness, hurting others rather than healing others. And the last one is a huge dishonest gain. Someone who is simply in their position for what they can gain from it rather than what they, through what God has given to them, can give to those that they're in charge over. And this is huge. So... So how do we choose these people? Are they family people? But also, are there things in their life that you're like, man, I wouldn't want that to rub off on anyone. <laughs> because it's literally what discipleship is. It's rubbing off. That When you spend time with somebody, you become like them. And hopefully, when you're becoming like the elders of this church, you're, you're, you're becoming more gracious. You're learning to help heal people rather than hurt people. And then what they are, which is always encouraging not to have what you aren't, but what you are, are things like, this is wonderful, this is hospitable. So someone who is welcoming people into their home and, and enjoys the company of other people. Loves good. I'd like to think that was like, doesn't like liver, but really likes chocolate eclairs. But, but loves good is more than taste in culture. <laughs> loves good. Literally, is this the person who, when you are with them, they, they love prayer. They love to speak about the Word of God. They, they love talking about Jesus. Or is it someone who you like, you come to them and you're like, oh man, I, like, you're excited. You're like, man, I, I'm, I was reading this today in the Psalms and, and they're like, yep. That's good. <laughs> are they someone who will meet your passion and speak with you about that? They, they, they love what's good. Holy. So someone who literally carries the presence of God with them. Someone who's disciplined, so isn't given to just whatever their passions have them do, but someone who will, will look ahead and see where we should be going and work to get there. <clears throat> the question is, this sounds crazy, is this even possible? And, and the answer is yes as we move into the last one. It is possible because an elder, a leader of the church, must be someone who is truth-formed and not self-made. So truth-formed, not self-made. An elder isn't somebody who just is inherently like Mr. Smarty Pants. Right, Your whole life you could go to them because they just were deep in meditative thought in a mountain. No, it is someone who, and as we read, it is someone who has learned, someone who has held on to, it is someone who has then encouraged others 
and then confronted when it's called for in truth. And so the last verse is verse 9. And, and read this with me, and I encourage you especially who, who want to be people who, as you rub off on others, as you are maybe instrumental in helping lead this church, this is how you are formed. It is not because you, you were born with spirituality in your DNA. It's not because you were the kid that like, never stole from the candy jar. It is because you are somebody who is submitted to the truth of God. And that's what you see in verse 9 here. It says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So the first in being a truth-formed person is this, is you must be a learner. You must, must, must be a learner. You are not someone who has this inherent fount of brilliance coming from within you. That doesn't happen. A truth-formed man is someone who has been taught and started as a student And I I believe what they're referring to here is in Acts 2, and Megan mentioned it earlier, is that these are people who, there is a, what's cool about this is that there is a body of message that already, if you hold to it, you are faithful and true. And and in Acts 2, it says that the church held to what the apostles teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. And so there's this, there's this understanding, the apostles' teaching, which I believe that they were just sitting under. And when Paul went, this is what he was giving and what they were looking for in people were people who had heard well and then were living well from that. So, if you are not a learner, it's important, if you are not a learner, you will never be a good leader. If you are not a learner, you will never... And if you cease being a learner, you will either corrupt or, or quickly fail in leadership. So even as a leader, you are someone who is not learned and everyone just sits under you, but you're, you're it's still a disciple, which means learner. <laughs> you are someone who has learned and is continually being transformed by the word of God. And then you are someone who, after learning that, is, it says, holding on to that. So, when I say continue to be a learner, it's not that you like, sweet, I've got that, I've put it behind me, but that you are someone who is continually building upon the foundation that is true and is unchanging. So, so if there is a point in your life where you, I hear this actually all the time with people who are like, yeah, I read the Bible once. As if you, you got it, you like check that off and you put it behind you. And, but a learner is someone who is continually going back to that, holding to it. And God is, by his spirit, filling them and forming them into the people he is calling his church to be. The third thing is this. It says that he is an encourager. <clears throat> and to be an encourager, what that means is, is what you have tasted and found good, you are giving to others. When you see God working in others, you are excited about that with them. It's like that iron sharpening iron. You are thrilled when someone comes to you and they're like, man, I was reading the word today. And you're like, me too! <laughs> right? There's that meeting of hearts. 
because, because it is so good to be together with people who are seeking God. And so you are, you are someone who is, is encouraging, spurring on the church wherever you are. That is when elder is there. They've, they're learning, they're holding, and they're encouraging others. There's someone who's on their mouth is always a word of encouragement. And then the fourth is this, that they are, the word it uses here in Titus is, that, is to refute. Um, it also means convince. And I want to give you a taste of this in Acts. In Acts 20, and this is, dial in here with me because this is so good. Uh, in Acts 20, Paul is, is saying farewell to a group of elders of the church of Ephesus. And, and this is a very emotional parting for him. He spent time with them. He loves them. He just, he wants to spend more time with them. And so there's this like painful parting as he, he pulls himself away from them to continue on to where he's going, knowing that he is going to persecution. And this is what he says to them. Verse, uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 25. He says, now that, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Okay, so that's that's first part about convincing and refuting, is that Paul says, I know that I have declared to you the whole will of God. I have not been ashamed of the gospel at any point. I've been excited about speaking to you as clearly as I can to convince you this is the way you should go. This is the path. This is the main thing. This is Christ the center who will change you and make you into the church you need to be, a godly people who are being transformed by the hope of Christ. And he hasn't hesitated to proclaim any of that to them. And then he goes on, and this is the second part of of refuting, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years I never stopped warning you each, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This is what it looks like to be an elder and even to raise up elders. Is, is he says, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch because why? Because wolves will come. Because, because you, this is not neutral waters. <laughs> Bremerton is not neutral waters. By all means, places we know around the world aren't neutral waters. You don't go out and just get to, just to, get to hang out in pleasant, you know, Pleasantville <laughs> until you decide what you're going to do. <laughs> it says, be on your guard. Keep watch because people will come in to deceive you to harm you, to distract you. All these things, so to watch out for yourself and for others. See, and they didn't just say, just watch out for others. It says, for yourself, because elders also can get confused, convoluted, and lead their church wrong. 
become blameworthy. And so, so <laughs> keep watch. And that, that is why that is why God ordained for there to be leaders of the church is to keep the main thing, the main thing to keep going in the direction of godliness. There was uh, something that happened this last week that really brought this to mind in a, um, a really sobering way. Um, there's a church in Seattle that honestly has had huge impact on my life. And when, so the way the Refuge Church came to be the Refuge Church was when we started the Coffee Oasis, we had this little house church. And, and there was times where we were really faithful meeting every week as a house church, but there was a time where actually we stopped meeting. And it's because um, it was kind of, you know, figuring out, well, should we just kind of be a part of a local church or what's that going to look like? And, and during that time, I would actually often go on Sunday mornings to this church in Seattle. And at this time, it was 1990, three years after this church had started in 1996. It was meeting at this place no bigger than this and just exploding. It was exciting. Um, I, honestly, I learned a ton during that time and really, like I said, appreciated their ministry and even came back during college to some of their conferences um, just to be encouraged by what God was doing there. This last week, um, however, uh, a larger organization, their church is a part of a network that they're a part of, um, asked the pastor of this church and um, to step down from his position and actually removed this church from their network. And, and as that happened, um, there was a lot swirling, right? People don't know how to control their tongues on social media. And, um, and, and I'll tell you what settled in my heart was this. Gosh, I love that guy. Like, that pastor, honestly, there is something in me that was very sincere, um, just absolutely loved him like, like a brother. He's never met me. Actually, I met him once. He doesn't remember. But the reason why we met was because I have an uncle who started a church down in California, a cool surfer church that lasted about seven years. And anyway, they, their churches started the same day, so they were buddies, and I went and introduced myself, and um, you know, and I was just like this starstruck, like, this guy's awesome. But, but through his ministry, just came to really love the way he spoke the truth. And so, the sobering part of this was watching as, as all of a sudden things crept in. And, and what people observed was that uh, while maybe even Christ was spoken of as being the center, um, maybe pride crept in or other things, and he was asked to step down. So this is, this is sobering because, because of this. And this is so clear, is that where a leader goes, those who have trusted and entrusted him with authority, they will go with him. And it's, uh, it's the way it happens. That's why if you have a, an amazing uh, manager of a baseball team or coach of a football team and they go to another football team, that other football team will get way better. <laughs> Because people trust them, and they follow them. They, they trust their, their organization, right? They trust their heart and what they're doing, where they're going. So keep watch. Keep watch with us as elders. Hold us accountable as elders, because we are not above 
the law of God. We, we are with you going, let's keep Christ at the center of this church. And, and if we grow, if we grow, let's grow healthy by keeping Christ at the center. Right? And what that means is I, with all my energy and might, and the elders of this church, will, will go, man, let's, let's remember Christ crucified and just know, want to know him. But what that means is you guys also saying that to us. We want Christ at the center of this church. If we're doing this, is that keeping Christ at the center of this church? And so, so when Christ comes to call his bride to himself, we will be people that say, come, Lord Jesus. What came to mind was, if you've driven on the highway, you've noticed, you know, big 18-wheelers, they always say, like, how's my driving? <laughs> and and that, that's what us elders ask of you guys. How's our driving? Right? Do you need to call us and say, hey, what about this decision? Or can you explain this point from a sermon? Or, hey, I was, I was walking with you and you said something that wasn't very kind. Right? I can do that. <laughs> and so how's my driving? How are we moving this church forward and how are we keeping Christ at the center? Because a church with Christ at the center will fulfill what our hope is for the Refuge Church, which is this Christ healing community. Right, that empowered by the Spirit of God, we will see Bremerton and wherever else he brings us transformed by a God who's calling people back into relationship with himself. So I ask you guys as a church, pray for us. And as we move forward in this coming year, and our, our hope is to have more elders, um, as we do that, pray for the church that we will keep watch, keep Christ at the center, and grow well together. So pray with me and we'll worship more. God, we, we have sat listening to your word because your name is above every name. Because you are creator and ruler over all things. And we want to be transformed into your likeness. And we don't want to just do this individually. We want to do this together. And I ask that as we, as we gather as a church, each week, throughout the week even, that we will be people that, that are telling one another, Keep watch. Keep looking to Jesus. And we just fall in love with you more and more. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.